wonderful song, wonderful message. Be turning to the book of the Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. While you're turning, let me mention again, be sure and come to church next Sunday. Uh, be a very special day, Brother Rocky Maddox will be here. Number one, he's a former pastor of Brister. Uh, he pastored Brister in the uh, mid-70s, just a few years before I got here. Uh, but you don't want to miss Brother Rocky Maddox because he is one of the most dynamic preachers you'll ever hear. Uh, for a while, he was on a uh, circuit, uh, did evangelism. That's what he did. He traveled everywhere, did evangelism. In fact, he came here when he was doing that sometime like 1982, 83. He came and did a revival for us. Uh, we heard him preach last April, uh, last March, the, the last part of March uh, for the camp meeting preachers conference that we had. Uh, and he preached then. And he preaches now just like he did then. Uh, he preaches it straight. Uh, he preaches it true. He preaches it with emphasis. Uh, somebody who had heard him uh, said, you know, he's pretty intense. That is correct. You need to come. Here's the reason why. Uh, we need to hear sometimes from another voice. Uh, you hear me Sunday in and Sunday out. And, of course, I appreciate the fact that Brother Jeremy's here. You hear a different voice one time a month. But after hearing the same voice over and over for years on end, it's important to bring a fresh pair of eyes in, a fresh voice, a fresh perspective. And uh, he is as excellent of a preacher as you'll ever hear. So I want you to come. It's going to be next Sunday morning, next Sunday night. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday will be at 7 o'clock. I'll have these hours in the bulletin next week. 7 o'clock give you plenty of time. If you have to just rush in when you get off work, come as you are. That'll be fine. But uh, we're going to have some special music lined up through the uh, week. Uh, so you want to come. We'll get more about that later. But I'm just telling you, this is what we call a, a revival effort. Well, in all reality, this is a series of meetings with a very excellent preacher. The revival part of it's going to depend on us, isn't it? So I want you to come. Also, potluck after church next Sunday. Uh, you know, I'd like for Brother Rocky to be impressed with the developments here at Brister, but uh, you don't want to be disappointed with potluck. I'm serious. So you come, bring something, be sure and stay next Sunday morning. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. For the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is his and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now, if you'll turn to chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and become wealthy, and I have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that you have a message for us, that you have a message for us as your church. You have a message to us as individuals. We ask that that message would find its place loud and clear in our hearts, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Several times it is quite specific in the book of the Revelation as John is introducing this book. He says, Jesus Christ has a message addressed to the churches. And then he names those churches. It's easy for us to just discount that, even if Jesus was saying, I have a message to the church of America. It's easy for us to say, man, I hope the church is listening. See, when Jesus Christ addresses a message to a church, a church is simply made up of individuals. It's not the building. It's not the facility. This is us. So anything Jesus Christ has to say to a church, we can apply that to an individual heart. Because if everyone in this building is not listening to Christ, well, then that means the church as a whole is simply made up of individuals. And I like to say it this way. Our church will only be as spiritual and as dedicated 
as the individual membership. So there's a responsibility individually for us to hear what Jesus Christ had to say to the church at Laodicea. I want to give us a little history of the church, and if you'll turn back to Colossians chapter 2, we realize this is not the first time we hear about this church that John addressed uh, this message of Christ to in Laodicea. Revelation is not the first time we hear it mentioned, but in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, we get a glimpse. And it's important for us to see the history of the church, where they were, and where they ended up by the time John wrote to them from the Isle of Patmos. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and for those in Laodicea. And as many have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, attaining to all riches of full assurance and understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with pervasive persuasive words. For though I am absent from the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. This was a sister church to the church at Colossae. And Paul says, you and those in Laodicea. This church was founded to the ministry in the ministry of Paul during that time frame. But Paul had never been there. Because he said, I have a great struggle for you and for those in Laodicea and everybody else who have never seen my face. So we're talking about maybe a fourth generation of disciples had started the church at Laodicea. You see, Paul was more like a third generation. Paul was reached by the ministry of Stephen who wasn't even an apostle of Christ, but a deacon. Paul was reached by that, and then Paul reached someone else, and that someone else started the church at Laodicea and at Colossae. Paul had never been there. This is a sister church with the Colossian church, in that the last thing he begins to say in the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 16, Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. You see, this church was about 10 miles from the church of Colossae. So the Colossian church and Laodicean church, 10 miles from each other, they were so close that they exchanged these letters. The apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church at Laodicea. We don't have a copy of that. It'd be nice to know what it said. It's probably very similar to this because he said, you share this with them and they'll share theirs with you. So we know that this church had a specific place in the heart of Paul. He said, I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and for those in Laodicea. The word conflict means struggle. Paul wrote this while he was in prison. And while he was in prison, all he could do was pray for the churches. The word struggle here is the same word from which we get agony. He agonized over these churches in prayer. And thinking about them. How do we know that? Chapter 1 verse 3. 
We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And then he said, make sure you get this letter over to the Laodiceans and let them read it. So what was he saying? I'm praying for you at Colossae, but I'm also praying for the folks at Laodicea as well. And this is very important as we look at the burden of Paul for the church. He said this in verse 5, Though I'm absent from the flesh, in the flesh, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Jesus Christ. So we know here's a report from the church at Laodicea. At one time, it was a faithful church. At one time, it was a steadfast church. How many years? Not very many years later, when John expressed Jesus' letter to the church, it was not steadfast. It was not faithful. It was not in order. So what happened? What happened is a very familiar synopsis or a summary of a lot of folks when they start to evaluate their spiritual life, they will say something like, I used to, I used to do this, I used to be that, I used to accomplish this. And if our testimony is is prefaced by, I used to do this, we're in need for revival. Doesn't matter how wonderful it was. And I understand this church at Laodicea was a wonderful church. He said, I rejoice to see how things were going in your church. Well, let's just say it this way. What if Paul said, I rejoice to see how things were going in your life, your personal life. But how is it now? Is it a used-to-be testimony for Christ? Or is something going on for Christ right now? The current condition of the church, and as we mentioned, the condition of a church is simply a summary of the condition of hearts. The condition of the church is this. To the angel or to the messenger or pastor of the church at Laodiceans write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God, verse 15, the first thing he says, he wants the church to know, I know your works. This church was thoroughly known by God. And the Lord knew everything about what the church had done, even though they said something else. Did you catch that? I know your works, and he goes through their works, and in verse 17 he says, because you say. Because you say this, I know your works, but you're saying this. And you said, you're saying, I have become wealthy. I have nothing. I need nothing. And don't you know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? In other words, what he's saying is, you're saying this, but your lives are something else. You're saying this, but your lives are something else, and God looks past what we say, and he's looking at what we're doing. And you see, there's the message to the individuals in the church. I know what you're saying, but I see your works. Now, when things are not in tune with God, we say a lot. We we say a lot. Sometimes it's denials. Have you ever heard or have we ever said, well, I don't think it's all that bad. See, we say a lot when things aren't right with God. Sometimes it's excuses. We say a lot of excuses. 
We try to give reasons why things aren't right with God in our lives. Sometimes it's promises. We say a lot. We say a lot about what we're going to do, what we intend to do, what we promise to do. I know, I know, this is what I'll do, God. So we have a lot to say. And then Jesus comes through and says, but I see what you're doing. But I see what you're doing. And who are we dealing with ultimately? Not the preacher. Not the evangelist next week. It's going to be God. And their behavior was accurately described by the Lord. How could it be accurately described by the Lord? Because he saw their works. He knew exactly what's going on. He said, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot. You see, this condition was familiar to the folks at Laodicea. It was painfully familiar to them. You see, the, the, the town, although it had a lot going for it, the water supply at the, at the town of Laodicea, the water supply was several miles away. It was several miles away and was piped into town by an aqueduct, brilliant engineering, where it had come out of a spring and flowed through an open trough all the way into town. Now, by the time it got to town, it was at room temperature. The water was lukewarm. They knew how lukewarm water tasted. Here's another thing about this water. It was full of minerals. You might say, well, that may sound like a good thing. Anybody ever been to Texarkana and drank the water over there that comes out of Lake Wright Patman that's fed by the Sulphur River? You see, it has minerals in it. Kids, sponsors, you ever been to Daniel Springs Church Camp? You know why the water is so slick at Daniel Springs Church Camp? It's got minerals in it. You ever drank that water? Well, you can drink the water if it's got tea in it or the lemonade mix in it, but you ever just drank the water out of a faucet? That water is good, or let me say this, that water is bearable if it's cold but now if it's lukewarm uh -uh. lukewarm daniel springs mineral water is hard to swallow in fact i would drink and drink and drink and i'm thinking i'm thirstier now than when i started drinking water you carry your own water to daniel springs so we understand it had a bad taste it had a bad odor and it was made worse because of the lukewarm so jesus was saying let me tell you what you're like you like the water that you're drinking? And that'd be a resounding no, said you're just like that. You see, here's the contrast. At Colossae, 10 miles away, their water came out of a cold spring. It was cold. It was refreshing. Now, six miles away at another, at another town called Hierapolis. It was kind of a Tri-Cities thing. Six miles away, they had hot springs coming out of the ground. It was a spa town, kind of like Hot Springs, Arkansas. They had these big spas there. It was mineral water coming out of a hot spring. Well, that was acceptable because it was hot. You ever had achy, sore muscles and you get into a big hot tub full of Epsom salts? Well, you know what happens if you were to drink a lot of hot Epsom salts water, a lukewarm, it wouldn't be good. So we understand the mineral water had its place, but it was hot. And we understand... Colossi, 
cold, refreshing water. Uh, Hierapolis, hot spa water. Laodicea, lukewarm mineral water. And what's the result? Nauseating. Nauseating. He said, because you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Now, the King James says spew. Now, spew, vomit, does not sound good, does it? Well, we know how that is. Now, I know we have several coffee drinkers in here, and I'm talking about coffee drinkers before Starbucks when they start doing the iced coffee. <clears throat> now, we like coffee when it's hot. But can you imagine if I said, you know, I, I brought everybody a cup of coffee here, and I just had them laid out there, and to make sure that we had plenty, I brought it over here at 8 in the morning, and this coffee sat out here in the cup until now, and now I've got coffee at room temperature, and you say, well, thanks, but no thanks. You see, some things are better when they're hot. Think about soup. Soup's good when it's hot. You don't want soup lukewarm. Think about ice cream. What if I had ice cream for everybody? Brought those little tubs like we have with Lana, and I thought, well, i got to make sure we have enough. Ice cream for everybody. I'm spreading it all out at 7.30 in the morning. Now, right after church, everybody get your ice cream. Your ice cream's at room temperature. Is it very appealing? Absolutely not. What about a big, tall glass of lukewarm milk? Not happening, is it? It becomes something unpleasant. And that's what God is saying to the church at Laodicea. I wanted you to be one thing, but you're not that one thing. Therefore, I will vomit you out of my mouth. What's the problem with lukewarm water? Problem with lukewarm anything is its presence does not noticeably impact its surroundings. If I've got a cup of coffee, I can feel instantly when it's hot. If I got a cup of, uh, of cold ice cream, I can tell instantly that there's something in there. I know there's something in there because of the temperature. If I've got a bowl of melted lukewarm ice cream, I can't tell anything's in there. And you see, that's the way it is with a Christian and with a church. We ought to noticeably impact the world around us. And if we're not noticeably impacting the world around us, if we're just blending in and becoming invisible and not noticeable, that's what lukewarm is. And can you see why God does not be, is not pleased with a lukewarm church. Nobody knows when a lukewarm church is in the community. God wants us either hot, on fire, with fervent passion for souls and fervent passion for his word. He would want us to be cold and refreshing to the people who are thirsting for God. But to be lukewarm and be in the middle pleases nobody, and it definitely does not please God. So we understand God's a bit unhappy with the church at the Laodiceans. Sometimes God's a bit unhappy with us. Sometimes we're lukewarm, aren't we? We're just blah. We're just blah. And not what God wants us to be. So what's the response of Christ? And here's where we see the beautiful message. I don't want you to miss this. All this leads up to the importance of this verse here. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The persistent love of Jesus. You would think if they were lukewarm and sickening to God, 
signaling to Jesus. He said, man, I don't want to even be around you. Man, you make me sick. I'm, I'm out of here if you're going to be that way. But you know what he says? He said, I'm standing at your door. First of all, he makes the first move to come close to us. He said, I'm standing at the door. He could be anywhere else. And what did I say earlier? When we're talking about Jesus dealing with the churches, it's the same thing as Jesus dealing with individuals because the church is made up of individuals. And so Jesus says, I'm standing at the door of your heart. I have made the first move, Jesus says, to come close to you. Think, of course, when we mentioned earlier about the shepherd and the lost sheep. The shepherd makes the move to close the gap and to get as close as he can to the sheep as fast as he can. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ is moving as close to you as he possibly can. But he's not satisfied with that. He deliberately makes the effort to get our attention. Behold, I stand at the door and wait going to wait for you to do something. It's not what it says. I stand at the door and what? Knock. You know, when I go to somebody's door and I knock, you know what I'm doing? Hey, I'm out here and I'm trying to get their attention. And I knock because I deliberately want to interact with that person on the other side of the door. And you see, that's what Jesus does with all of us. He comes and he gets as close as possible to make himself accessible to us. And then he knocks. He knocks a lot of times through his word. His word is filled with efforts to get our attention and to turn our focus to him. Sometimes he knocks during a sermon or a Sunday school lesson or something we hear at a conference or church camp or Bible school or Awana. He knocks on the hearts of doors and gets our attention. Sometimes he knocks with events in our lives. Sometimes the good events get our attention. But nothing gets our attention like a bad event. God is knocking. You see, God's knocking just the fact that you're sitting here listening to the church of the Laodicean letter means that God is knocking at your door. And your intentions are clear. He says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, now if we were to finish that, since they were lukewarm and nauseating, if anybody opens the door, I'm coming in. I'm cleaning house. You're going to know that I've been there. You disgust me. Look at what you're saying one thing and you're doing another thing and you're not what you want need to be. When I come in, you're going to know it. That's not what he says. That's not what he says. What's he want to do? He says, I'll come in and dine with you. Now, that's an important word. He didn't just mean I'm going to come in and eat with you. That's a specific meal, a specific word. You see, in the time in which John wrote, there were three meals a day like there are three meals here. Breakfast was simply a piece of bread dipped in a cup of wine and eaten on the way out. Now, think about that as we're going out the door. I mean, that was it. Lunch was you ate wherever you were. It was kind of like a picnic lunch wherever you were. You ate lunch where you were on the run. Now, the word dime is from the Greek word dipneo. That is the one meal of the day 
the evening meal where the whole family got together. That's the meal he said. He didn't say, let's catch lunch. He said, I want to come in for the meal where everybody's together. In other words, I want to be part of your life. I want to be part of your home. I want to be in your family. I want to dine with you because that was when families drew closer together. I want to be with you. Even in our lukewarm state, even when we say one thing and do another, Jesus said, but I still want to be with you. Will you let me in? I still want to be with you. Now that's love beyond human understanding. When we can be so nauseating to be so lukewarm and Jesus says, but I'm knocking at your door and I want to come in and be with you and you with me. And then things will change. You see, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And here's the difference between me and Jesus. There's a lot of differences. I come to your house and knock on the door. I can't see what's on the other side of the door. Don't know. God sees what's on the other side of the door. Your door may be decked out with a wreath, nice paint job, a lot of decorations, but on inside, there may be chaos. There may be stuff on the floor, all over the kitchen counter. There may be, I mean, you don't know what's on the other side of the door, but now the outside of the door looks good. You see, Jesus knows what's on the other side of the door. You see, Jesus sees the clutter and the chaos. Sometimes, spiritually speaking, we have a lot of clutter and chaos, don't we? He sees all that, and you know what he says? If you'll open the door, I can come in. I really want to be with you. Not only that, I want to stay a while. I want to eat with you. I want to have that time together with you. Jesus sees the deceit and deception. That's what he was talking to people who had said one thing and doing another. He saw one thing on this side of the door. He knocked on the door. He could see on the other side. Now, why is the door shut in the first place? Sometimes the door just eases too. You know why? We just get busy with life. We forget things. We don't mean to, but we drift away from Jesus. We drift away from the Lord. And all of a sudden, because we're busy with other things, the door just eases too. And all of a sudden, he's on the other side. He's not a part of our life and our world like he wants to be. Sometimes the door eases too. We don't mean for it to. And then sometimes we slam it. We tell him no. We slam it. And we intentionally close the door. We tell him no. We know what he wants in our lives and we just deliberately say no. Or maybe we say this, later. Well, you know what a later is? A no. It's a no. And we tell him no. He sees what's on the other side of the door. And here's the most important thing. He said, I stand at the door and knock. You are wretched and miserable and poor and blind. Because what he's saying is, I see the hurt on the other side of the door. Now that's important. Because other people don't see the hurt on the other side of the door. And there's a lot of people in the world today says, I just... Don't feel like anybody knows what hurt I'm going through. And you 
You're right. You're right. They don't know the hurt. None of us can know the hurt. But Jesus knows the hurt. I see this firsthand a lot. In my work with the funeral home, I've ministered to dozens of families of suicide victims. And you know what I hear real often? I had no idea they were hurting this bad. They just seemed to be so happy-go-lucky. They seemed to be okay. I had no idea. I just didn't know. I hear it from friends, from coworkers, from family members, some of the people closest to folks. I did not know that there was that kind of hurt in their life. I just didn't know. But Jesus knows what's on the other side of the door. That door that we won't open for anybody else. He knows what's on the other side of the door. Hurts nobody else knows about. Situations nobody else can imagine. Guilt. Whatever's on the other side, Jesus sees it. And no matter how unattractive you think it might be, Jesus says, I'm knocking because I really want you to open the door. I really really want to be with you with all the extra clutter the baggage the hurt the fear the guilt or whatever it is even these folks that were lukewarm and quite sickening he says i still want in i want into your life and jesus wants into your life as we prepare for an invitation of him i don't know what's on the other side of the door for, for a lot of doors it looks real positive and I'm, I'm always going to give people benefit of the doubt. I think everything's all right on the other side of the door in your life. And I might be right. But then again, what's really on the other side? Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Maybe you've got to clean some stuff up with Jesus. He said, you let me in, we'll clean it up together. Don't clean it up and then open the door. You open right now. Maybe there's some hurts you need to talk to Jesus about. Maybe there's some challenges you need to talk to Jesus about that you need some help with. He says, I stand at the door and knock, regardless of your condition, I want to be with you. Will we open the door as we stand and sing? What number?